0: L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com, and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.
2: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com/slash Wondersuite.
3: Hello, and welcome to the debrief from the business of fashion, where each week we go deep on our most popular BOF professional stories with the correspondents who created them. I'm Lauren Sherman. More than two decades after the launch of a Porter luxury e-commerce is in major consolidation mode this year online marketplace farfetch has cut deals to acquire upscale beauty store violet gray provide technology to the neiman marcus group and it now even owns a big chunk of former rival lineup then there's private equity-backed matches fashion which has gone through a series of ceos and don't forget my Teresa, which went public in the us in 2021 but while certain companies have fared better than others, most have sacrificed profitability in order to scale. Will there ever be a true winner in the online luxury market? To help answer that question, I'm joined by BOF Luxury Editor Robert Williams and luxury correspondent Tamson O'Connor. Let's start by setting up what's been happening in online luxury. Robert, can you take it from here?
4: Online luxury was seen as this really promising space and was seen as really shaking up how the luxury industry worked. People were surprised to see that customers weren't just buying commodities on the internet and things that they really need, but also very expensive discretionary purchases in the early and mid 2000s. That was something that was quite surprising to people. And so we saw players like Jukes and Netaporte and Matches Fashion really surge. But lately, the momentum has been slowing in this sector and something that's become very apparent is that the price competition is just ruthless and consumers can do so much comparison shopping so quickly that there's a lot of pressure to discount, which is causing brands to become less and less willing to give their best products to these luxury e-commerce players. So it's this sector that's seen as so transformative and that it's really shaken up the luxury industry and caused the brands themselves to invest a lot more in their own digital presence. But at the same time, that just has these fundamental challenges. And most of the companies do really struggle to consistently return a profit.
3: And we've been talking for years about consolidation coming for this industry, because I assume the more scale you have, they think they're going to be able to be profitable and that culminated in August when there was this deal between Farfetch and Richemont for Farfetch to take a stake in YNAP, a Porter Group, which Richemont previously owned. And Farfetch not only has a significant stake in YNAP now, but it also could potentially acquire it in a few years. That's how the deal is set up. Tammy, could you talk a bit more about why our readers were so interested in this and why it was such an important moment in the trajectory of this market
5: totally totally well yeah as you said Lauren it, it marks a major kind of consolidation within this space that is still extremely competitive and extremely challenging operationally and i think that this deal it's a pretty major step forward for farfetch in terms of setting up the platform to kind of solidify a dominant position that's of course not to say that Farfetch doesn't still face significant challenges and scale doesn't equal success necessarily but YNAP was Farfetch's biggest competitor they were kind of the two leaders in terms of size in this space and now Farfetch is not only going to power the technology for WineApp, but it's also going to sell all the WineApp inventory on its own platform. So really giving it a big boost in terms of the merchandise volume on its marketplace and also through the Richemont brands. And I think that that's a part of the deal that's also worth mentioning from the Farfetch side is this tie up with Richemont means that now Farfetch will also offer names like Cartier and Van Cleef on its marketplace, which could really help that platform break into the hard luxury space with watches and jewelry it's really underpenetrated there and it's a time when customer appetite to purchase those real high ticket watch items and jewelry pieces online is higher than ever and this deal is also kind of marks a boon for the back-end systems that Farfetch is offering it calls it its platform solutions business And Farfetch essentially wants to be the operating system for the luxury industry. It wants to power the industry's digital back end. And I think that that's another kind of major marker that this deal signals. It could really help bolster Farfetch's credibility as the technology platform for the industry more broadly, now that it's got this tie up with, you know, a major luxury conglomerate. So that's going to have impact on the other players in the market as well.
3: Certainly gives Farfetch more scale. And it's so, I don't know if it's ironic or just interesting that WineUp used to be the technology solutions provider for so many big companies and Farfetch has supplanted them in some cases, although many companies do their own tech as well. Robert, can you sort of explain the market? They were happy about this, especially I think Farfetch's stock did go up double digits that day. Richemont's went up a little bit but Farfetch's stock is still much lower than it was at the peak of the pandemic when sales were really booming online. Can you explain why investors have not been super bullish on Farfetch? Honestly, since they went public, it's not been a stock that people are always very excited about
4: something about farfetch is that they had such big ambitions and in addition to having this fast growing marketplace that they were running they were pitching themselves as the company that was going to become the key technology provider for the fashion industry that they were going to have all these services that they would sell that would be about in-store technology all these different back-end services that they would supply as a white label service And so they've raised a lot of money to support that ambition. And that's made it kind of a controversial stock because it still goes in and out of profitability and by some measures, they have struggled to consistently return a profit or a profit that is seen as commensurate with how much money they've raised over the years. And so that's made the stock always quite volatile since it went on the market. And then since the pandemic, we have seen slowing momentum in terms of the growth that the e-commerce market is enjoying more broadly. And at the same time, there is kind of a broader flight to what we call a flight to quality in the markets where with more and more uncertainty about what's coming next for the world economy, Investors are kind of moving their assets to things that they see as safer investments, which certainly hasn't helped Farfetch. But Farfetch definitely did get a, quite a boost from this deal with UXneta Porte, bouncing off of what Tamison said about the platform services part of their business. Previously, some of the biggest brands that were their main clients on the back end for these white label services were much smaller luxury labels like Tom Brown. And now you see them having a deal to potentially kind of run all of the technology behind the scenes, although quite how much they will run for the brands is still unclear. They could run quite a lot of important services for a brand as big as Cartier, which you know has several billion in sales every year and is uh, one of the world's biggest jewelers.
3: I've written a lot about these tech platforms and replatforming, and basically every major multi-brand online retailer has had replatforming issues over the last ten years or so. Farfetch, I'm sure, has had their own quirks, but generally they put so much money and investment into engineering in the beginning that they were always ahead of the game in that way. And it makes sense to me that I was talking to an executive who works with them recently, and they just said, you know, they have become that go-to, if you don't want to put the resources into building your own tech, they really are the first name in that. But I do wonder so much of the back end of these websites is app-based and there's also big competitors like Shopify and places like that, that that's their whole business, whereas Farfetch has many different elements to its business. It has its marketplace. It owns Browns, which is a wholesaler. It has a deal with Neiman Marcus. It has a deal now with WineApp. It owns Violet Gray. It owns N- New Guards Group it makes products. So it's not just a technology platform for other brands to use. How do you see this shaking out?
5: I think it's interesting, Lauren, because that kind of backend tech has really been spotlighted as a real potential growth engine for Farfetch. And I think that when you're also looking at some of the challenges of scaling the luxury e-commerce model which pertains to their marketplace whether you're working on a marketplace model or a wholesale model scaling that profitably can be really really tough but I think what makes Farfetch so attractive for brands in the industry is the fact that it's not just offering an e-commerce website template the solutions quote unquote are Also about back-end management, stock management, connecting a global store network, digitally plugging into Farfetch's fulfillment logistics network. And unlike a Shopify, you know, they pitch this as a tailored solution specific to the luxury industry. And I think these are all challenges that are just really expensive to figure out alone, but also, thanks in large part to the pandemic, A lot of businesses have seen this, you know, addressing these challenges, taking on a new urgency. It's become very apparent that brands need to resolve these challenges ASAP. If you're going to be an agile business, you know, that can react to the macro context and what's going on in the world quickly. So I think in that respect... The fact that investors see this is a potential growth engine and the fact that it's a real industry need right now, it does set Farfetch up quite well. I don't know what you think about that, Robert.
4: There's a lot of parts about the back-end systems that make e-commerce run that are not really different for luxury than for something else. So a lot of brands are always going to be looking to choose the most effective and least expensive provider for things involving, you know, trucking a product from point A to point B. Now, managing, you know, inventories and how they're referenced across sites and stores in different regions, and managing things about how the endpoint delivery is carried out, you know, to the final client. There's parts of there that are more specific to luxury and where Farfetch kind of has a lot of potential. One thing that's also interesting is that it's about kind of how big is your brand. You know, the really big luxury mega brands, they have whole departments dedicated now to digital and to e commerce, obviously. And they'll always be looking part by part of the e commerce journey who is the best provider for this. And it's going to be always very, very competitive because they have people kind of putting together that puzzle in a way that's tailored to them. It's too important to just farm it out completely to an external provider. Now, for a smaller designer brand, and or a midsize brand, there's something that could be really um, a lot of potential for growth with Farfetch on this kind of service, because doing really top notch e-commerce when you're a small company, it's really hard. And the more of that you can delegate to an expert, that could be money that's well spent, even if Farfetch might not position itself as the least expensive option.
0: L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.
2: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com/slash wondersuite.
5: It's also interesting to look at the clients that Farfetch has managed to get on board. I mean, you know, longer term, they've counted Chanel as a client, Harrods as a client, even LVMH and J.W. Anderson. But this year, they also signed Neiman Marcus as a client, Ferragamo as a client. So they seem to be attracting a lot of big names at the moment. You've done a great
3: job at setting up Farfetch's position in this, and they clearly have emerged as the market leader for now. But there are still many, many other players, and it feels like the market generally has just been through a lot this year. Matches has gone through their own by private equity. They've gone through quite a few CEOs in the last couple of years. My Teresa feels more of an early success story, but they're still very small compared to a lot of their competitors. And as you scale this, things get more expensive in terms of customer acquisition, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the macro challenges facing this market, Tammy, and how do you see these businesses overcoming them?
5: You just mentioned about that customer acquisition piece, Laura, and I think a really big hurdle in this space is the fact that scale doesn't necessarily make the challenges of operating luxury commerce evaporate. You know, Ultimately, acquiring customers is still really expensive. Fulfillment, logistics, and returns are still really expensive. Brands are still wanting to more tightly control their distribution. All these platforms still have to compete with the brand's own websites and stores as well as each other, both for customers and for inventory. And what we've seen is that with scale also, it makes it much harder to turn a profit. And I think it's also interesting to think about the brand piece. Something that we haven't mentioned about Farfetch in all of this is that in the past it's really struggled to build a brand to kind of match or mirror its business ambitions. But we see other smaller players like My Teresa and Matches have a really, really strong brand. And a really strong connection with a specific kind of customer. I think WineApp is a great example, actually, of the larger player that even though they're not a leader in the luxury e space from a business perspective, net porter and Mr. Porter brands have really high brand awareness and strong brand equity. And I think that the market continues to be uncertain, the broader macroeconomic environment Having that brand connection with your customer is going to count for a lot. But again, as you scale, that can be harder to refine sometimes.
3: I've always thought that Farfetch should sort of lean into the fact that they don't have a brand in the way that Amazon has. But I don't know how you do that from an execution perspective. So
5: <laughs> they've invested a lot in trying to formulate that brand because that ultimately will help you when so many of these players have had to compete on price because everyone's selling the same product that's available at a million different places so what's the differentiator is you know the cheapest price and brands are really really we've seen the rise of e-concessions for example as a major pushback from brands who are saying, we don't want to play that game anymore. And that's where a powerful brand can really come in because your customer can connect with you as a brand. And that's why I'll buy a Gucci bag from your platform as opposed to directly from Gucci or from the store or from a department store.
3: That's a good point, Tammy, you brought up directly from Gucci. And these luxury brands have invested a lot in their own e-commerce in recent years. And yes, some of them are using... Farfetch's white label product, but a lot of them aren't, and they are becoming more of a destination. Robert, how big of a, I don't want to say threat, but like how much of the market share is starting to go directly to these single brand websites? And what does that mean for the multi-brand market generally?
4: Since around 2015 or 16, the biggest brands in the luxury market have been growing a lot faster than the smaller brands That's often the case in almost any business for various reasons about investment and scale, but it's become more and more exaggerated, particularly since the pandemic. And so with these big brands that have now very robust e-commerce operations of their own kind of operating those sites, it's much harder to funnel the customers to these multi-brand spaces, you know, The brands offer kind of a complete wardrobe. They offer a uniform. And when you're on their website, you kind of get the impression that you went to their store in a way. And so they kind of are giving you a more immersive experience in the brand that kind of substitutes in a lot of ways and is competing quite effectively with that sense of like curation that you are getting from some of those multi-brand e-commerce platforms before the momentum in the brand's own sites is huge and certainly taking a lot of the steam out of that uh, momentum that the multi-brand sites had before. I mean, if you were to look at Dior, we published a case study today showing that their e-commerce website, which still had just a few million in sales back as recently as 2017 or 18, now has 400 million in sales last year, according to some sources of BOFs. So that's really phenomenal growth that the multi-brand players can't really keep up with. And that's in part because these big brands aren't giving their products to the online wholesalers anymore. Caring Group, the owners of Gucci and Balenciaga and Yves saint Laurent, they came out and said this year that they weren't going to do any more online wholesale at all for their brands. And that the websites would either need to find a way to transition to an e-concession model or they weren't going to be able to sell their products anymore the brands are certainly creating some big challenges for the multi-brand space
5: i think what's interesting just to add to that is that we can't forget that the real value of a multi-brand player for most of these brands is appealing to a specific customer and a specific customer base or customer niche that they might struggle to reach elsewhere and I think the rise of e-concessions, it will be interesting to see how that plays out because that kind of contradicts that idea of having a curated platform because the e-concession setup means that the multi-brand platform or the retailer relinquishes control over the assortment and curation to the brand. So I think that's an interesting dynamic to watch how that kind of plays out as e-concessions gain more momentum going forward. It's pretty wild to
3: think that Dior has $400 million in sales online.
4: It's a really big chunk of sales. I mean, you see that the power of that model of you know, not relinquishing control over distribution and brands that have prioritized selling everything themselves, they are starting to really see the benefits of that in the digital space as well now.
3: Looking ahead, what are you all excited about in in this space? What are you watching for? Obviously, the Farfetch, YNAP, Neiman Marcus, they're all in in bed together now. We'll start to develop further. But what else are you watching out for in your coverage?
5: I think it'll be interesting to see what's next for matches. They've been through quite a few CEOs recently. It's been a turbulent time for them, so... Watching closely to see how they play out and how Nick Baton, who came from ASOS, you know, knows fashion e-commerce, but new to the luxury space. I think that'll be an interesting one to watch.
4: For me, I think it will be really interesting to see if there's going to be more consolidation, more big deal making, and also kind of how this deal ends up actually boosting Ux Netaporte or not. I think that Ux um, Netaporte has a lot of potential in its brands. I think men love shopping with Mr. Porter. I think that Ux is seen as a really essential partner for a lot of brands who, you know, maybe they don't have the scale to operate an outlet store, but they do have those off season products that they need to find a, a good solution for them. And so if UX were to become a bit more technologically savvy and have a bit of a strategic revamp, the kind of role they could play for the sector could be quite different. So kind of what this added investment and also alleviating the pressure on backend that's going to come from the deal with Farfetch, I think it'll be interesting to see if that will free UX Porter to really kind of win back customers and win back a big share of the market.
5: Well, it's interesting, Robert, because I think that Farfetch's plan already is to position Ux as a kind of end of life platform by introducing and bolstering resale as well into their business model.
4: One thing about Farfetch is they've offered a lot of services to brands about how they could have integrated offers online and offline and that they could maybe even be keeping The same inventory from stores could be sold at the same time on Farfetch's marketplace. And if you were to do something like that with Ux for off-season and for outlet product, that's something that could be very helpful for the brands, but also helpful to Ux, which has so many references on its site, but often maybe just like one size of each reference. So it can be quite difficult to actually find something on Ux despite the millions and millions of things that they offer.
3: Farfetch has a lot of work ahead of it, but it'll be interesting to see if they can pull this off in the long term, and also who emerges as an interesting and compelling competitor to them, because I'm sure there will be someone who comes out of these ashes and and does really well. Well, Tammy and Robert, thank you so much for being here.
5: It was great to chat. Thank you so much, Lauren, for having us.
4: Thank you, Lauren.
3: You have been listening to the debrief produced and edited by Emma Clark, Kate Varton, and Eric Bria in the BOF Studio. I'm Lauren Sherman and I'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. Thanks so much for joining us and be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can join BOF Professional today with an exclusive 25% discount on an annual membership covering key industry topics from sustainability to technology to marketing. with access to our case studies, live events, and iOS app. To get this special offer and benefit from 25% off of a membership, head to the link in the episode show notes or enter the coupon code DEBRIEF at checkout. Visit businessoffashion.com slash memberships.